Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta, over there to my actual left. As you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing pretty well. It's been a while, about two and a half weeks since yeah. we last recorded, and certainly a lot has happened. We have a lot to get into, both on the field stuff, off the field stuff. I guess technically not on the field, but yeah. you know, stuff that'll be affecting the on-field play next year, one of which just happened like 20 minutes ago, or yeah. was reported 20 minutes ago. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that a little later. Um, but yeah, you know, two and a half weeks off. Usually, uh, November is a bit slow, um, and you know, we we uh, we previewed we previewed awards um, last episode, um, and I guess they were announced since they were announced since uh, we last recorded. Um, I don't know. Did, we could debrief it for a little bit, but it's I don't know. It was uh, mostly expected stuff. Yeah. I think um yeah Aaron well, Judge got 28 of the 30 votes two of which the two Otani votes were from both Angel voters. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, like um yeah the the only things that went against my predictions were they went with Harris instead of Strider. Yeah. Um whatever. Which yeah, it, I still would have picked Strider but oh well. Yeah, I I picked Strider but I I think Michael Harris had a very very respectable season well-rounded yeah yeah and i mean he would have easily won um he would have easily won last year too um both you know both of these guys had better seasons than the last india than jonathan india in 2021 um but yeah uh and yeah like yeah francona won instead of hyde um Showalter won, which yeah, we both obviously. Uh yeah, and uh and yeah, Goldschmidt won MVP. Terry Francona won manager of the year. The the Cy Youngs were as expected. Yes. Yeah, no surprise. Both both unanimous. Yeah, both unanimous. But yeah, you know, I mean, um nothing nothing too uh surprising to dive into. Um but yeah. Um some of the early action in this off season has been done by the Los Angeles angels. Um, that started it out with signing Tyler Anderson to a three year, $39 million deal. Um, Tyler Anderson is coming off, uh, you know, a very good year for himself where he went, you know, he went from the Mariners, went to the Dodgers, um, helped him out a lot. He had a two, five, seven ERA. And I think like a three one zero expected ERA. Most the most important thing to look at with Tyler Anderson last year was the strikeout to walk numbers because they were phenomenal, especially uh, earlier on in the season. Um, his he had four point zero six strikeouts per walk last year, uh, a career high for him. And of course, he's been pitching since two thousand sixteen. Two five seven ERA and one hundred seventy eight and two thirds innings pitched. Uh, yeah, I mean he looked fantastic out there last year, and he's certainly gonna. Uh, provide a lot of depth and be a solid like two three starter for the Angels. Yeah. Uh, also noted is his average exit velocity against last year. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 
85. It was, yeah, 85.0 miles per hour, a 28.5% hard hit rate against. Both were top 10% in the league. Yeah, his average. Both were, to, both were top 2% in the league. Yeah, both were in the 98th percentile uh, in all of baseball last year. One thing that's very interesting, very low strikeout rate for him, only 26th percentile, but a very high chase rate. Um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I think... I think yeah, I think they, there was probably just a high chase contact percentage, and mm-hmm. it explains the exit velocity. It definitely if does. Hit, if you're hitting the ball out of the strike zone, uh, you're probably not going to hit it very hard. So, yeah. makes makes a good amount of sense. But yeah, Anderson um, was a very pleasant surprise for the Dodgers last year. His chase contact percent was sixty percent, which is pretty. It's not. I mean, it's not like absurd, but it's a decent amount. Yeah, the league average is uh, fifty-eight. Fifty-eight point three percent. Yep. Um, but yeah, like with a with a guy like Tyler Anderson, yeah, he uh, he was a very pleasant surprise for the Dodgers. My concern is, so I, I imagine that the Dodgers and whatever depart like uh, analytical departments or pitching departments had, like you know, they probably changed Tyler Anderson for the better. I don't know. I don't have any like statistics to back it up, but given how the um the Dodgers developed pitchers as opposed to the Pirates you know most of his career was with the Pirates so they don't develop pitchers the well. most important thing I think was the drop in home run in uh, home runs per nine you know outside of 2020 uh he had had a home runs per nine above one and even close to like one and a half pretty much every year of his career uh and he was at 0.07 or 0.7 this year uh to combine you know combine with a 1.7 walks per nine his whip was literally one zero zero two. So I mean, he was allowing basically exactly a base runner per inning, which was excellent. Yeah, I think my concern might be like the Angels aren't like known for having great like pitcher development. I mean, Shohei Otani's great, but I feel like he does his own thing. Well, but Tyler Anderson theoretically could just do his own thing as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess we've seen that with like, you know, I think the Astros have been known to transform pitchers well and like. When Charlie Morton left, he didn't really skip much of a beat. And yeah. um, Garrett Cole, I mean, there's a whole thing with you know foreign substances and stuff. But he's but still been excellent. He's still been good. Um, and and yeah, uh, he just gives up a lot of home runs. That's literally it. Yeah. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see about it. But I don't know. Whenever, whenever like the Angels sign a deal like this, I'm like, man, I feel I just feel like this is gonna go in the wrong direction. You but, know what? Uh, you know, like those YouTube videos where it's like "try not to laugh" challenge, and it's like it's a, it's a bunch of funny videos, yeah. and you have, to, you have to try not to break. Every off season, the Angels play the "try not to believe in this team" game. Yeah, right. It's like right, right. Mu- they make a bunch of really compelling moves that make sense and fill the biggest holes on the team. And we, you know, they'll always have the Trout, Otani, Rendon talents, and you're just like, "Hey, I'm just saying." Yeah. If you look at this team. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's the try not to believe challenge yeah because theoretically like this deal this deal makes really good sense uh you could argue it's a bit of an underpay for a guy who just yeah. had a 2570 ERA. and not only that but i think we saw some of the best pitcher development with the angels last season that we've seen in any recent year i mean reed detmers in the second half looked really good jose yeah. suarez continued to look excellent sandoval Patrick sandoval good. yeah they have also they have a very left heavy rotation too which is interesting yeah uh because they're gonna go into next year with Anderson, Detmer, Suarez, and Sandoval all in their probably starting rotation. Yeah, and uh, I know Anderson and Sandoval have very good 
change-ups. Um, I wonder if Detmers has a change-up because um, it could just be the makes lefty, lefty change-up yeah. change group. We'll see how like the rest of the division is against lefty change-ups. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Detmers, 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 Detmers. Uh, uses change-up 11% of the time. Uh, you know, it's not... But it's there. There's yeah. there's something there. I, was, I mean, Reed Detmers... I could be wrong, but he doesn't strike me as a velocity type of guy. Yeah, no, I don't see it. Which is interesting for a guy who was drafted so high. To be fair, he's probably his velocity is probably only going to go up to where it is now. Like he's only twenty three years old. Um, and yeah, his average, his fastball velocity is forty fifth percentile last year. So yeah, um, you know. So yeah, the the Angels got Tyler Anderson. So now the rotation is like uh, Otani, Anderson. Sandoval Detmers, which, you know, I mean, that's um, a relatively young rotation as well to mm-hmm. add to it. And There's potential, no doubt. Yeah, you know, it's. I think it's less of a what-if rotation now than it was, like, last year. For um, sure. And, you know, o- also Otani improved his pitching dramatically from, from last year to this year, um, along with all the other things that he does. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... Th- Anderson goes to the Angels. Uh, the Angels also traded for Hunter Renfro. Yeah, that poor guy just can't stay on the team. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's funny because the way he's been the last couple of years, like it's to a point where you know exactly what you're going to get from him. Uh, he did have a uh, 255 average last year with around league average on base percentage, but really good slugging numbers, a 492. That's uh, over well over 200. Uh, isolated slugging, which is slugging percentage minus batting average, which essentially means when he hits, he hits hard. Um, he had a uh, 10.9% fly ball rate, or sorry, pop-up rate. Yeah. That's well, pretty high. A 30, I, I, the thing that really stuck out to me right now, 37.4% ground ball rate, that's like very low. Yeah, he's he's clearly a guy who wants to lift the baseball. Yeah. Um, which He's one of those launch angle guys that you've heard about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, like those those guys, you know, you can you're gonna expect a higher pop up percentage. Mm-hmm. You know, he has ten point nine percent league average is around seven percent, so I mean, but he's also gonna not hit the ball on the ground. Um, which kinda makes sense why he he would have a lower batting average and a higher higher slugging percentage. Yes. Um but yeah, like the power's there obviously. Seventy eighth percentile average exit velocity, seventieth percentile hard hit rate. Yeah, it's kind of weird, like, you know, uh, the Red Sox had a weird thing with him. You know, they they traded him away for uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. along with prospects David Hamilton and Alex Benelis, and it upset the fan base uh, uh, quite a bit. It, you know, it, it upset me a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also right before the lockout. Right before the lockout. Which, by the way, happy birthday, start of the lockout. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. It was literally it was that. December first into December second. Yeah, but but Renfro, you know, he 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 has some tools. He has a great he's great power. He also has a great arm. His defense, you know, he doesn't have the worst range. But he has a strong arm. He's a very yeah. He he can make up for it with a good arm. Um, so he has he has some great tools. Um, but you know, he's like a two to three win player. Yeah. To put he's it frank. A, I mean, I'm trying to think what they had. I mean. There's the there were the question marks in the Angels outfield last year of like Taylor or Taylor Wood was solid but like the Marsh Adele type yeah um 
Obviously, they moved on from Brandon Marsh, and they're still holding on to Joe Adele right now, which is fine. I mean, I, I, he's shown flashes of his potential, but, you know, you have a defined uh, guy who can be there with Hunter Renfro to join Mike Trout and Taylor Ward yeah. uh, in the outfield next year. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, and I think you'll you'll get what, what you'll get. Um, yes. Like, outside of, like, 2020 was a major outlier, but... Um, because of how short of a season it was, but yeah, you look at like the OPSs and the slugging percentages. Yeah, you you, you get what you get. Um, it's not gonna blow you away. Um, you'll get a high number of home runs, um, which you know if if you if that's the only stat you're looking yeah. at, then you'll be like, oh my god, we should have never let go of Hunter Renfro ever. Yep. <laughs> but but um, yeah, he'll give you home runs. Um, but yeah, I think uh, and we could get into the next thing the angels did. Mm-hmm. Um, they traded for Gio Urshela. They did. Um, what do you think of this one? I really like the move. Uh, Gio Urshela, you know, he replaces, you know, he, you get, you have a fallback option for Anthony Rendon at third base. Uh, and you have a shortstop for if he's there, I'm assuming they probably put him at shortstop because he's played there before. He kind of just played third for the Yankees because, they had every other position, but Gio Rochelle is very uh, versatile as an infielder. Um, and, you know, they had Andrew Velazquez as their primary shortstop last year, who is phenomenal defensively, like a legit defensive wizard, but he had a 53 OPS plus for, and by the way, that was in 350 plate appearances. So, like, you can't have a guy like that in a competing lineup every single day. Um, and, you know, I think it really adds a lot of completion to the Angels lineup and also to their defense. I know that Velasquez is better defensively, but, you know, Rochelle is not a bad uh, second option there. You know, I think it really completes the lineup. Uh, I think there's still a lot of questions with, like, you know, do they see Luis Renjifo, uh mimicking the same season he had last year where he had a 103 OPS plus? Do they see a bounce back from Jared Walsh and Max Stassi offensively? Because that would really round out that lineup and make it a lot more complete than it has been ever. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Angels um, Angels are always an interesting team. I just looked at their payroll, and their estimated payroll, according to baseball reference, is about $180 million right now, which is kind of surprising to me considering that the Pujols and Upton contracts are gone. Yeah. But yeah, Bull now they, they have to they have to pay Otani now also. In arbitration, yeah. Cuz they paid him like 5 and a half million dollars last year. <laughs> now they're going to have to pay him like 25 million. I think they already did the arbitrate it was 30 million dollars. Oh, okay. Um so yeah, so they're paying Otani third Otani, Rendon and Trout are all getting 30 plus million dollars. Um So yeah, you know, you, you know, they have to pay for the talents that that is there but yeah i mean there's still uh there's still some work to be done and the fact is they have the worst farm system in the majors yes but um, they do have some guys that look intriguing logan ohapi was acquired for brandon marsh he's their number one prospect and yeah. he was killing it in double a i'd say with there's the, with the rocket city trash pandas yeah i'd say there's some, a catcher i'd say so, there's some inter- interesting guy <laughs> maybe not guys but interesting <laughs> there's, guys. there's there's a guy there's an interesting guy <laughs> In um, that farm system. Yeah, and his numbers with Rocket, he had a, he played 29 games with Rocket City last year, 131 plate appearances, and he had a, an 11.47 OPS. Yeah, yeah, no, that's he, pretty good. He seems like and Double A is usually like where the most talent is. Right, um, like yeah, like I'm. I think there's a lot to look forward to with him. Mm-hmm. Um, they had yeah, him skip Triple A. There's or well Lehigh Valley. He played there. There's not a not a ton behind him. Um, 
and you know, Otani his this is his last year of control, so mm-hmm. we'll see about him and um yeah, I mean a Rendon like you know, Rendon got surgery last year. It could mean two things. It could mean like he's never gonna be the same or it could mean like that lingering injury is gone and he's gonna be able to perform again, but it's gonna be um it's it's you can't you can't call it when with uh with things like that. Yeah. They're, the Angels have had way too many question marks going into every season where it's like this has to happen and this has to happen and this has to happen for us to have a shot at the playoffs. And it feels like they are tightening up those question marks a lot heading into this season because I do really like each of the moves that Perry's made so far. Yeah. Um, but also, and like. I do wonder if now that Artie Moreno's selling or considering selling the team, that he's prioritized that over. Sort of overbearing the offseason responsibilities on the field. Yeah, for the team. Right, right, right. Um, and I'd say also another hole with the Angels is their manager position. Yeah, I don't know what the deal was with that, but yeah, they Phil and Evan will continue to be the Angels' manager. Yeah, um, they just didn't go out and try to get a guy who they think is going to be there for at least a few years you know what's interesting by the way (laughs) like you you mentioned the angels having the worst farm system it's not even like they traded a bunch of prospects to get you know big time players and that's why they have a bad farm system like you look at you know like the padres like they've depleted a lot of their farm and the quality of it has shrunk a lot yeah you can't even really say the same for the angels and like they're also the team that has the most reported instances of like mistreatment of minor leaguers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there's a correlation there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think I, I don't have the list, but I, I remember like one day in class I was bored and I was like, I'm gonna look up every first rounder of the Angels since Mike Trout. Yeah, and it's not a great list. <laughs> it's I, I want to look at it now. Um, I had to go through like each individual draft, mm. so yeah, I'll do it on a different time. Yeah, maybe I'm trying we'll to think, edit it and post. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it like I think Taylor Ward is like the headliner, which which you know, he had a, he had a good season. He had a good season. He had a season of 133 weighted runs created plus. But yeah, you know, like Joe Adele was one of the first rounders. He hasn't worked out yet. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but yeah, you know, a good amount of guys who just never made it to the MLB. Which will happen, but you know you never want it to happen too. I was much. gonna say no team goes ten for ten. Yeah, no, not not at all. That like that's that's a Hall of Fame executive that I've never seen in my life. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah, the Angels uh, pulling out the stops early in the off season, um, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it continues. Mm-hmm. Could could go after one of those free agent short stops. Um, who knows? We'll see about it. Um, but yeah, um, well, uh, they're they're on hold. So uh, another, some more things that happened in the baseball world uh, a little, maybe a week or two ago. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez traded from the Blue Jays to the Mariners. Eric Swanson was traded t- from the Mariners, uh, or no. Tasker Hernandez traded from the Blue Jays to the Mariners. Swans, Eric Swanson from the Mariners to the Blue Jays, along with a couple other guys. But those were the headliners. What did you think of that? Um, I was, I mean, obviously Teoscar Hernandez is a very solid offensive player. He's another type of guy where you know what you're getting from him. You know, he's a similar type of player to Hunter Renfro, where he, uh, his highest asset is his power. You know, he had a 491 slugging last year. He's and that and that's a 
That was a th- uh, three-year low. Since 2020, he has a 519 slugging, which is excellent, really good for uh, 1,300 plate appearances. But at this end, he has, what, how many years of control? Only one year of control. I was kind of surprised at how, like, easily they just let go of Eric Swanson like that. I know that sounds crazy because it's a reliever for an everyday outfielder. Um, but Eric Swanson is a really, really underrated reliever. I think he was in the top 10 of uh, F4 among relievers this past season. He was also excellent in 2021 with run prevention specifically. Um yeah, I was very surprised. He was yeah, he ranked 12th in F4 uh among all relievers last year. 12.02 strikeouts per 9, 1.74 walks per 9, 0.5 home runs per 9, a 174 ERA and 184 FIP. Actually, where is that FIP rank? That's a really good. Yeah. I yeah. Um yeah, Eric Swanson had a phenomenal year last year. Uh he had the second best FIP in baseball behind only Edwin Diaz. Yeah, that's like I you know I un- I understand that an everyday outfielder is just always going to do more than a reliever, but I was very surprised that they just very easily let go of Eric Swanson like that. I know that the Blue Jays or the Mariners do have a lot of solid relievers, but I was surprised that this is the one that they picked in this particular deal. Yeah, um, yeah, I totally because uh, he also has three years of control. Yeah, essentially what happened was the Blue Jays traded one year of an outfielder for three years of a, of a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I I don't think this was the motive at all, but I think it's ironic that um, right after the uh, Blue Jays blow a giant lead to the Mariners in the playoffs, <laughs> they try to get one of their relievers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you like, know, oh. I don't think that was <laughs> yeah. correlated at all. No. Um, but yeah, I think I think this deal actually makes a, a lot of sense um, for both sides because, I mean, also considering the trade that the Mariners just did, where they're letting go of a power hitting outfielder that didn't work for them, not, you know, they end up getting a power hitting outfielder mm-hmm. in Teoscar Hernandez. And to be fair, Jesse Winker is pretty absent anyway. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're. You know, we just we did just mention like the Mariners traded Jesse Winker, or we're you know we're going to get deeper into that. But you know, it's not like uh, he put up huge numbers from the last year. Uh, and apparently, like there was a lot of people fed up with him in the clubhouse as well. He had a 688 OPS, um, a 103 OPS plus, because he, they played in Seattle and it was a down year for the league offensively. Yeah. So that makes sense. But. But with Eric Swanson, I think from a Mariners perspective, you're like, you know, he had a he had an amazing year, obviously, like a one eight four FIP in fifty three innings or so. Mm-hmm. Um that's amazing. However, you know, he's pitched some seasons before and it wasn't like that. So you can't really like a lot of the times re- relievers will just have that random season. Like I don't know, I like Jonathan Loisega was an example. He yeah. did get hurt, but like you can't expect this no, I don't think I don't think Eric Swanson's putting up a one eight four FIP again. Right, um, but I do think he'll be a solid reliever to yeah. be a good eighth inning guy to Jordan Romano. Yeah, and like he'll he'll yeah he'll definitely be a great asset. But I think from a Mariners perspective, it's like this guy's at its at his highest value maybe of his career, mm-hmm. and we are lacking some outfield uh, some outfield power hitting. So yeah, you know, let's take him in the playoffs. Let's take advantage, and we already have Paul Sewald and Andres Munoz, and even Matt mm-hmm. Brash, who just yeah, I'm trying to Penn look at Murphy. Yeah, like we already have all those guys, so it's like mm-hmm. this isn't we're not getting rid of our only good reliever here. Yeah, um, but we could get a guy who might end up being our only power 
uh, outfielder. Our best also, power outfielder because they also did trade Kyle Lewis. They traded Kyle Lewis and Mitch Hanniger's on the free agent market. That That is very true. So... I and then they lost Carlos Santana as well. He went to the Pirates. Uh, right. He, you know, I know that he only had a, uh, like he had, you know, he had a lot of big moments for them last season. And only 15 home runs in 79 games, like that's a 30 home run pace. Right. Um, and not only that, but he also had a lot of win probability added. You know, he picked his spots really well. Obviously, he had the big three run homer in that aforementioned Blue Jays Mariners game. He had a lot of late game action for them. Like that's a tough loss. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to, you know, you got to question if like Cal Raleigh is going to be able to replicate his offensive performance from last year. You know, Eugenio Suarez is now on the wrong side of 30. Uh, you know, it makes sense to bring in a guy like Teoscar Hernandez, even if it's just for one year where, you know, you can feel very confident about his production going into the season. Yeah. Uh, as an aside, Matt Brash as a reliever had a one nine seven FIP last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty yeah, you're expecting a full season of that. Yeah. But um but yeah, and and from a Blue Jays perspective, I think this also makes sense. I, I imagine the thought process was like we're probably not going to extend him, so let's try to get something out of Teoscar Hernandez. Um he's not their most valuable bat. He's a valuable bat, but he's not their most valuable bat, and offense isn't their problem. They already have George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo, Bo Bichette, Alejandro Kirk, yeah. among many others, especially righties. Like they, they don't, they don't really have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, not that bullpen was a problem, but I mean, but it, it was definitely something that can be improved it was, on. It was like compared to their it starters, was probably their and, weakest point. Yeah, and you know, definitely, definitely on paper, no doubt. Um, so yeah, and and they get three years of a reliever. So I think I think both sides are getting some good benefit out of this. Yeah, no doubt. It was a solid trade all around. I was very surprised to see both players dealt, though. Yeah, no, it it wasn't it wasn't like uh, you know the Teoscar mm-hmm. Hernandez Eric Sw- Swanson trade is just imminent. <laughs> it's just yeah, like neither team is rebuilding or or yeah. really stacking up particularly this this year. So I was they're both in they're both in win now mode, and they traded players that are going to help them win now. Yeah, very. Which uh, is you know I think there's just some shock in that. Yeah, it was like a. F- fantasy trade exactly um it's like the cesspitus lester trade even though one of those teams was very much rebuilding it was like hey let's both trade players that are currently <laughs> contributing to our teams extremely well yeah 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 <laughs> um yeah uh so yeah that's the news from seattle well the first news from seattle um but in tampa bay you know not often do you get to see a free agent signing in Tampa Bay? But it happened. <laughs> a three-year, $40 million deal handed out to Zach Eflin, uh, known for his days with the Phillies. I think he's only pitched with the Phillies. He has only pitched with the Phillies, indeed. Um, and, yeah, um, he's going to from the NL East to the American League East. I, I love this, this signing a lot. Uh, Zach Eflin... Yeah, ranks 10th among all pitchers with at least 200 innings pitched in strikeout-to-walk ratio since the start of 2020. Um, I tweeted the list of pitchers that are above him, and it's all, like, elite-level pitchers. Right. Like, the worst pitcher there was maybe Nathan Avaldi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So he's very, very good. Uh, and he's also the type of guy that always has a much lower FIP than his ERA. Yeah. And he's now moving from Philly to Tampa. Yep. That's yep. gonna that's gonna make a large difference. Tampa had around league average outs above average last year, 
but which is a defensive metric via Statcast. But they also had a lot of their primary guys hurt for a lot of the year. You know, we didn't see Wanda Franco. Um, yeah. We didn't see several Rays players, so I think you know there's there's a good chance of defensive resurgence for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and getting a guy like Zach Eflin, who's going to do the things he can control very well, is going to turn into a, a contract that's worth it because I believe this is the biggest contract ever given out in Tampa Bay Rays history. Um, oh, in Tampa Bay Rays, well, biggest free agent contract. Yeah. I would say. Well, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wander Franco would be the owner of the other, but yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, Zach Eflin definitely overlooked. Um, I think one concern you can see on his stat page are is, like, related to workload. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's only qualified for the ERA title once. But they the, but they also put him in as a reliever last year, uh, the yeah. Phillies did, because they had a lot of guys in their rotation, and they were like, hey, you know what, this guy can be really good batter to batter. Let's see how this works. Yeah, um, so... And the but, Rays, you know, you know, I don't think the Rays are too much worried about workload no. because they have the bullpen depth to where if they have Eflin going out there for five, six innings every start, that's yeah. fine. And I just looked up his injury history, and none of it is related to like shoulder or elbow, mm-hmm. um, which is good for the Rays. And but you know, the Rays have a weird history of like just running through pitchers like, uh, like their double A batteries. I mean, yeah. it's just. Uh, it's crazy how many just and they gotta elbow. buy a new pack every you know twice a year. Yeah, off season and trade deadline. Yeah, like they they like have a weird history of elbow and shoulder injuries to their pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like Zach Eflin when he pitches, um, I think there's gonna be much better results. Philadelphia's historically had bad defense going mm-hmm. back, you know, maybe half a decade now. Um, and Zach Eflin's been pitching there the whole time, and he's not like a rack em up strikeout no all the time kind of guy. He only had a twenty percent strikeout rate last year. So if he, you know, but if he's going to be pitching to contact, um, it's better with the Rays than the Phillies, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's good. Um, I I wonder what the Rays payroll is. I wonder how much of the payroll he's taking up. Like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. They might well, be it won't be that much once they sign Jacob DeGrom to a one-year $55 million contract. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about um, peripheral statistics with Zach Eflin. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, the Red Sox also offered, like, the same exact deal, but he chose – he's from Florida, so he, he chose – And the Rays are also a better team. Um. Yeah, true. I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's close though. I mean, at full health, I think the Rays are definitely better. I mean, yeah, like if, if you just go regular season, they've had a better, better record all four seasons, mm-hmm. and they've made the playoffs all four seasons. The Phillies infield actually had a much better uh, outs above average last year than the Rays. Um, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily a ground ball pitcher though. He's not. He had a ten percent launch angle or ten degree launch angle. Sorry. Um. um yeah, I believe. But also, I mean, like like I said, you know, Brandon Lau was not there. Uh, Wander Franco wasn't there for most of the season. Mike Zanino wasn't there for most of the season. Like, those are good defensive players that just couldn't be there for the race because they were all hurt. Um, uh, although Kevin Kiermeyer will not be there, so that's going to be a tough loss. Yeah, uh, Eflin had a 28.1% fly ball rate against, which is 6% above average. That was last year specifically. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, Kiermaier's not there. Phillips was released uh, was released last year. Um, but Arosarena, Arosarena has good defense, I think. He's, yeah, he has good defense. Um, so yeah, he'll he'll be there, and you know maybe he'll make some more acquisitions as well. Um, so yeah, that's what the Rays are doing. Zach Eflin. So that'll be McCla- McClanahan. Rasmussen, Springs, Glasnow, and Eflin. Yeah. Yeah, pretty deep. Um, yeah, that's definitely the most rotation depth I think they've had in a while, even including 2020. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would agree. Because, you know, Springs had a very good breakout season last year, a 246 ERA, Rasmussen as well, McClanahan as well. Um, he yeah. was a legitimate ace. He was a Cy Young front runner for like the first four months of the he year. He started the All Star game. Yeah, <laughs> for the American League. Yeah, and the, you know the bullpen. You know they'll find guys uh, like who you know they're they'll unleash their uh, created player of the year. Yeah, this year it was Jason Adam. They're in the they're auto generating right now. It'll yeah. be it'll be complete by spring training. They're at like you know. Ten percent, like loading. Yeah, they have like they have the six four side armor, two fifteen. They're <laughs> gonna they're gonna say he's at uh, a University of Georgia. I was gonna say, oh, I was gonna say like they have some like six one, like two hundred ten pound white guy yeah. with two first names. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, that throws ninety eight miles an hour. Char- like, sits Charles there. Ri- Charlie Richard. Yeah, that went to like I don't even know. He went to uh went to some Cal like, went Poly. to TCU, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. To see that guy, whoever that might be. Yep. Yep. That's what the Rays do. Um <laughs> and then uh last deal we'll get into is uh another Mariners trade. Mariners trade in early in the off season, who would have thought? <laughs> Jerry um, DePoto moment. Do you want to get into uh into that trade? Yeah, so it just happened right before we started recording. Uh there was a rumor the other day that the Mariners were looking for a left-handed hitting second baseman, probably to replace Adam Frazier because, you know, he was not able to replicate his 2021 first half yep. uh, during the next season. Um, and they decided on Colton Wong from the Milwaukee Brewers, I think is a very good upgrade. And they traded Jesse Winker and also Abraham Toro, um, which is very interesting because if you remember how Toro got to Seattle, that was a trade that really tore apart the clubhouse. Uh, yeah. During a, a very high moment in the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the centerpiece of that deal is gone now. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, Kendall Graveman and Rafael Montero, who had a huge season for the Astros this year, by the way, were traded for Abraham Toro. Uh, yeah. Maybe there's one other person in there as well, but the, the bulk of the trade was around him. Yeah. Oh, it was Joe Smith. That's who it was. <laughs> Joe Smith. Who cares? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I knew it was some, you know, reliever with two first names. Yep. <laughs> or not two first names, but, you know, the most basic name you can think of. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Winker um, being traded to the Brewers, I, like, I don't know, it just seems sort of right, just putting him back in the NL Central at a hitter-friendly ballpark. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, this the whole Mariners yeah. thing just didn't work out. And the Brewers desperately need offense. Yeah, like, Rowdy Telez shouldn't be your number one hitter. Right. And that's no disrespect to Rowdy Telez. I like what he brings to the field. You know, he's he's good for what he is. Yep. But that can't be what you're most heavily relying on within your offense. 
Very true. And Jesse Winker, if he can return to like 2020 to 2021 form where he was legitimately one of the top hitters in the league, Milwaukee's got a, a real team Yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what the Brewers have to do is like fill in for, you know, Christian Yelich's underperformance, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, even like like the difference between like 2018 18 and 20 like Keston Hira just disappeared off the face of the earth mm-hmm. um, that never worked out when was the last time the Brewers developed a hitter um, yeah that's a good question because like I remember I remember like Orlando Arcia was a big time prospect who came up that didn't work out probably Ryan Braun or something legitimately um, or yeah. Jonathan Lucroy I don't know <laughs> something you, like that count it. it's been it's been a, it's been a minute uh, you know, Keston Hero was a top prospect who didn't work out. Um, right now we have Jackson Corio, who's like probably got the most hype out of all of them. Yeah, yeah, because he's like who in we won't a. we won't we won't be seeing for a while, probably until twenty twenty four when he's twenty years old. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chance he could come up as a teenager next year, though, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was like you know double A guy at eighteen years old. Um, which is very interesting. It's funny because they've also like argue like arguably the Brewers have had the best home development for pitching in the last like ten years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like between Burns, Woodruff, Freddie Peralta. Right. Yeah. 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 And you know Devin Williams. Devin Williams as well. Josh. Well, I guess Josh Hader wasn't homegrown, but yeah. Basically, I mean, basically started there, mm-hmm. or you know started getting good there. Yeah. Um. He was a, he became a top prospect there. However, he was also wasn't he traded like twice? Wasn't he with the <laughs> Orioles, Astros, and Brewers at all Maybe points? It sounds right. He definitely was with the Orioles. He was drafted by them in the nineteenth round of the two thousand twelve draft. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, yeah. Winker, Winker headed out. I, I don't know. I just feel like. I feel like the Brewers are just going to be a better fit for him. And, like, just that NL Central is, like, he's pretty familiar with it. And I think that's going to be a good move for him. Um, and then, yeah, Colton Wong, I know he's, you know, he's good defensively. I haven't I haven't really kept tabs on him. Is he, like... Yeah, I mean, he's still solid. Yeah, you know, he's, that's what I imagine. I, I would say he's definitely an upgrade over... He's probably like uh he's probably like we said with uh Hunter Renfro, like he's a two to three win player. Like he'll give you league average like above league average offense, like high seven hundreds OPS. Uh he'll give you solid defense, good base running. Uh it's seventeen stolen bases last year. Right, yeah. No And that and that was, last year was he only did it with a two eighty Babip, like that could be higher. Right, right. Um well, this is wins above a place. Three point one. Yeah, yeah, positive yeah, positive uh Defensive contributions, yeah. I, and I, he could be a guy that you're really thankful to have without the shift in place. I want to see how often he got shifted against last year. Yeah, I definitely like what um what Seattle is doing here. Like they, you know, they they're on have, a mission. They already have Teoscar Hernandez, so no need to no no real need to keep Jesse Winker if he's you mm-hmm. know. I've, especially if, if there was that, yeah, especially if there was some clubhouse issue there. Right. Um, he was shifted against forty-one percent of the time last year, which is a career high. It's the only only once has he been above thirty percent. I know it was thirty point two percent, and he had a. Uh, actually, there wasn't. Actually, it was a negative. 
difference. He had a 345 Woba with a shift and a 331 without, which isn't really a significant enough difference to make any judgment. But right, you know, it's it's, it's interesting to see more with Babip than Woba. Babip than Woba. Um, what will happen there? Yeah, I suppose I could see both his his Babip in both situations anyway too. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just overall, like with Colton Wong, I don't think you have to really dig too deep. I mean, he like I looking at what he was, he was at least ten percent above average at the plate. Um, you know, each of the past two years, um, a positive defensive contributor as well. I think he has a Gold Glove under his belt. Um, you know, solid base running. He's really grown since the twenty thirteen World Series, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and yeah, like that's just. That's just an all-around player who's like, you know, you're not going to see a whole lot of love for him, but he's just in the background kind of contributing the whole time. He had a 291 Babbitt without the shift and a 290 with it. So clearly, clearly he's going to be so much better. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for him to have a 1100 OPS this year (laughs) with the shift gone. (laughs) With a 545 batting average. Yeah. Yeah, um but yeah, I, I like yeah, I like that for the Mariners. It, I think a lot of a lot of how this deal is. Yeah, and I like at, it for the Brewers too though. Yeah. But even I mean, even when Jesse Winker's good, he's kind of like a three or four win player. Yeah. I mean I think he'll be well, I don't know. I mean, now that he's sharing a clubhouse with Rowdy Telez, which one of them's gonna DH? Yeah, true. Like he he doesn't really provide Because defense he becomes a significantly worse player. Like he doesn't really provide uh, defense, um, you know. Whether it, you know, he, he had negative wins above replacement on on Baseball Reference because of that defense and on Fangraphs. Yeah, like you know, and and even when he had a nine forty nine OPS in a hundred ten games, his wins above replacement was at two point seven. Yeah, um, he's such a brewer. Now that I think about it, he he's very much a brewer. <laughs> But yeah, like I, you know, I think the 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 uh, the Mariners are winning in this deal so far, because mm-hmm. um, even even at Winker's best, there's still the there's still the uh, detractions. Yeah, and Colton Wong last year. Running. Colton Wong last year had a well. To be fair, he only played 110 games, but yeah, Colton Wong last year had a higher uh, wins above replacement than Jesse Winker with a 949 OPS. Right. Yeah, but that also might be ballpark adjusted too, because he was playing in twenty twenty one Cincy. Yep. Yeah, that's which true. is pretty brutal against hitters. Yes. Um, in terms of uh, park factor. But Colton Wong played one hundred sixteen games, which is only six more that same season, and had three point three wins above replacement. So I mean, you could also make the same case just going off of twenty twenty one. Yeah, and you know, Winker's going to get more love because mm-hmm. all of his. It's also one year of both. Which is worth noting. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Winker is going into his age twenty nine season. I would imagine Wong's like in his thirties. Uh-huh. He's uh, uh, he's probably thirty ish. He is thirty two next year. Yeah, and so even that, it's not a crazy difference. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you know Winker's going to get a lot more love because all of his all of his contributions are on offense, but um, and at the at the plate on. On offense, not on the bases. Whereas Wong, like he kind of uh, makes his contributions everywhere, so it's less noticeable. Um, but yeah, I like it. I like it for the Mariners there. I do as well. Um, all right. Uh, 
now do we want to get into uh, a conversation? Our favorites. Definitely your favorite. Yeah. De- no doubt your favorite. Yes. I enjoy it as well, for sure. Um, the only thing that gets me going in the offseason is Hall of Fame talk. Yeah. Um, specifically, uh, the ballad of the century, sort yeah. of. <laughs> the the ballads that nobody else care about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens could be Hall of Famers by the next time we record, and nobody's talking about it. Nope. Which is... I don't know. I mean, it just goes to show that nobody will ever compare care about these like era committee ballots. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's. I think social media also adds to the BBWAA ballot because like. Well, because be there's like, also like the, there's the tracker team and there's. Yeah. You know, you get to get angry at people's ballots when they have like three players and it's like Jeff Kent and Omar Vizquel right. and Tori Hunter and it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah, there's just a lot of interaction with that. Whereas like this, it just seems like. They just go into a boardroom. Literally. Like, there's no predicting it. No. I mean, we will try to, but... Uh, so, anyway, there are eight players on the contemporary baseball uh, ballot this year. Which, by the way, the Hall of Fame restructured the era committee so that there's only two of them now. It's literally pre-1980 and post-1980, which yeah. I think is kind of stupid because you're literally putting 100 years of baseball history into one category. Yeah, Whereas you're putting 40 years of baseball history into another category. Right. Um... But anyway, the eight players on the ballot this year are Albert Bell, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, Don Mattingly, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling. Uh, each of them, I think, have very compelling cases of their own. I think five of them I would put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another, maybe another one of them I personally wouldn't vote for, but wouldn't hate to see get in. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, I think... I think I kind of hold the same opinion. I definitely hold the same opinions on Bonds and Clemens. Um, whereas, and uh, so yeah, it was bon- Bonds, Clemens, and I hold the same opinions on Kurt Schilling, where I think, you know, they should be Hall of Famers. Um, just like, that's how it is. Um, and and we also have... Uh, we have Hall of Fame bubble case breakdowns for both of them on the YouTube channel, Above Replacement Radio. Um, that was recorded um, two years ago, but like I mean, nothing's really changed. Yeah, no, nothing's changed. Um, except for <laughs> Kurt Schilling requesting to be taken off the BPWA. Yeah, ballot. I don't think that'll hold any weight in this no. vote, though. I, yeah. Um, and then there's Palmero, I would put on there. We talked about it on. <laughs> SCTV3. Yes, we did. Um, or, like, you know, Palmero played, his last season was 2005. My marker is, like, whatever you do before 2005, if you get caught with steroids, um, I'll count that. Because 2005, if you don't know, was the first year that PED use was made punishable by MLB. So that's when the suspensions started being handed out. Or So, like, you know, uh, in 2004, having... You know, injecting HGH was like the same ban as like having a good egg sandwich uh, to food yeah. to fuel yourself. Yeah, that's so. That's how I view it. Like people, you can take you can take performance enhancing drugs now, but they have to be legal. So like, but if they're if they're made illegal next year, I'm not going to hold you against it for doing it this year. Um, so yeah, that's my thing with it and then going back to palmero you know three thousand hits 500 home runs 70 wins above replacement pretty easy case um and uh and yeah 
Fred McGriff. I think um, that's the most compelling case on the ballot as far as like maybe overlooked has a really good chance of getting in. Uh, the the voters have been released publicly, and two of them are Greg Maddox and Chipper Jones, who are longtime teammates of McGriff's. Yeah. So I think that's two guaranteed votes. Uh, it does it is kind of weird that there's that kind of conflict of, of interest on the ballot. That's literally how Harold Baines got in because yep. Jerry Reinsdorf and uh, Pat Gillick were both voting for him. Both had personal ties to his career. Um, but I mean, I think I mean. Regardless of if they played for them or not, I think Chipper Jones and Greg Maddox definitely both are open-minded enough to see like what he was able to do in his career, and especially during the heart of the steroid era, being completely clean. Yeah, uh, you know his name is completely cleared from the record. Um, he maxed out on BBWAA ballots, which is kind of weird in like knowing you know the grudge that the writers held against steroid guys. There's a guy that had 493 career home runs. Uh, t- almost 2,500 hits in 19 seasons and an 886 OPS for his career. That's really impressive for 10,000 plate appearances. And he was kind of left off a lot of people's ballots. He had a massive gain in his 10th year on the BBWA ballot, which is kind of really the start of, of sabermetric analyzation on these ballots. Uh, in 2019, he went from 23.2% the, the, the previous year to 39.8%. Uh, which is a really, really big gain for one year. Um, so people kind of realized at the end of his time on the ballot, oh, hey, we should probably vote for this guy. Uh, and I think this committee will do justice in getting Fred McGriff into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that, that I think they will they will put him on, especially given his, uh, his clean record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's definitely a compelling case. Um, he had, so like you look at it like, okay, he had a 134 OPS plus, but if he didn't play in the steroid era and he didn't take steroids, then his OPS plus and therefore wins above replacement were negatively affected because like him having as high offensive numbers as he did, um, wasn't as impressive as like, you know, the guys of like Bonds and Maguire. Um, but so yeah, I think, I think. Yeah, going with, like, wins above replacement might not be the best thing with McGriff, considering he was not at, you know... He also he played w- first base, which is yeah a very, you know... Uh, wins above replacement takes it down a lot, like, in right. value. And, like, you know, you just look at the... Like, he had 10,000 plate appearances. He had a 377 on base percentage, 509 slugging percentage, 886 OPS. Uh uh, his Fangraphs wins above replacement helps him out more than Baseball Reference. He's at fifty six point nine over there, um, and yeah, I think the arguments against him is you know the wins above replacement, the the defense, and maybe him not having like a crazy peak because um, I'm looking and like you know didn't have like he was never an MVP uh, finalist. Um, you know, which that's based on what the voters think. So, you know, take that with what you will. Um, but, you know, only only like four or five win seasons, um, according to baseball reference. So, I mean, there's, there are some things against him. I think I kind of go back and forth, but I, I'm, I think I lean um, putting him in. Yeah. But I, I'd have to think about it more. Mm-hmm. 
So the other, the one player that I mentioned as I personally wouldn't vote for him, but I would not be mad if he got in, uh, that would be Dale Murphy. Mm. Um, I think there are a lot of very strong cases for him. He played in the majors for 18 years. It's funny because by Winsome of Replacement, he was either really good or really bad because he had a, he has a career B-War of 46.5, but if you take out all the years where he had negative B-War, he's at 49. Hmm. Uh, he had my he, he had seasons of minus point one, minus point four, minus point six, minus point seven, and minus point nine. And all of these seasons occurred when they were when he was uh, ages twenty through twenty two and ages thirty six through thirty seven. So you know he he was slow to get started in the big leagues, and he certainly didn't go out on the highest of notes. But his peak was very strong. For, uh, he was basically the player of the eighties. Uh, he had. A 132 OPS plus throughout the entire 1980s and 6,500 plate appearances, an 852 OPS, and also a wins above replacement of I think 48. Uh, he had a very he was just very strong throughout that decade. Yeah, 47.1 B WAR throughout the 80s, and I let me see where he leave, where he is in F WAR in the entire decade. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm looking at stuff. Like specifically, eighty-two to eighty-seven, mm-hmm. he averaged uh, five point seven B WAR per year, which is that's above All-Star level. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, really good. Yeah. Like I didn't really, I've heard his name a lot, mm-hmm. uh, just from like TV and stuff where like people reference him, and I'm like, who? Like I just you hear of Dale Murphy. Yeah. You don't really know, but you don't really know what he did. And um, now we're kind throughout, of so now. throughout from eighty to eighty-nine. 11 players had a higher F-War, 11 position players had a higher F-War than Dale Murphy. All of them are Hall of Famers. It goes Ricky Henderson, who's a Hall of Famer, Wade Boggs, Hall of Famer, Mike Schmidt, Hall of Famer, Robin Yount, Cal Ripken Jr., uh, Alan Trammell, Eddie Murphy, George Brett, Tim Raines, Ozzie Smith, Gary Carter. Every single one of those guys are Hall of Famers. Right behind him, Andre Dawson, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, and then you get into a, a pool of overlooked candidates between Murphy, Keith Hernandez, Dwight Evans, Lou Whitaker. Um, you know, a lot of guys that I think should, maybe could be in, but aren't. Um, yeah, I mean, he was one of the premier players of that decade. You, I mean, if we're talking culturally, you know, he played on the Braves as a star player at the time where the Braves were the most accessible team for a national audience because, you know, the Turner family owned the team. They were on, they were like the first teams to be watchable for 162 games a year. Right. So a lot of people got to see Dale Murphy. Uh, at a time where you couldn't see many other players. So culturally, that's the sort of impact that he has as well. Yeah, and, you know, the, the Hall of Fame a lot of the time does go past the numbers. Um, but, yeah, uh, if you go 1982 to 1987, there's only seven players ahead of him in uh, baseball reference wins above replacement, and, yeah, they're all Hall of Famers. Um, it's Boggs, Henderson, Schmidt, Ripken, Reigns, Gary Carter, Alan Trammell. Yeah, um, and then Dale Murphy. Yeah, I think I know. I personally like I, I mentioned that I wouldn't vote for him, uh, and I think the only thing that's that, that's I'm missing from him is a longer peak. Um, yeah, but like I said, if he gets in, you're not gonna hear any complaints from me. Yeah, I yeah I think I, I think I agree with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think like it's similar to like some of the guys that were elected in those um, the, i think the only way you'd hear a complaint by me is if he's like the only one that gets in oh yeah that'd be a problem yeah. because he is not the best player on that ballot and that's fine what position did he play third base oh no outfield first base and catcher yeah um 
Yeah, I thought he was like a primary catcher, but then I saw all the 162s no. <laughs> in the games played. Yeah, and there's like, no, no. that. I mean, that would make him a Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah, he played 162 games for four straight seasons, then 150 or 160 the next year in '86, 159, 156, 154, 154. Dale Murphy was good at just staying on the field. Yeah, uh, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure, and that added to his uh, overall production. Yeah. yeah, two MVPs. I think you probably mentioned that. Um, I did not. Two MVPs. I'm noticing back to back. Yeah. That's 80, cool. 82 and 83. Yeah. I mean, like, he has the BBWAA approval uh, as far as, like, awards back then. Like, you know, he has the he has the accolades to get in. Right. Uh, what was his... Wow. He only... He never topped 20% on the BBWAA ballots. That's... that's Oh, no. He topped at 23.2% his second try. That's actually outrageous. That's tough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, with... Uh with Murphy, I think, yeah, with with the voters, it's a matter of them thinking if they're if his peak was long enough or if his peak was enough to get him in. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, there wasn't much. And I think there's no right or wrong answer to that. I think there's very good arguments to be made either way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Who do you want to talk about next? Um, We talk. Oh, yeah. We could get the Don Mattingly stuff out of the way. Yeah. Um, I, you know, maybe this is a biased thing for me because I'm a Red Sox fan from New York and I grew up with diehard Yankee fan baseball coaches that I'm still close with to this day that grew up watching Don Mattingly and insist that he's a Hall of Famer. I personally disagree. Uh, you know, take the reasons I just talked about with Dale Murphy and why I wouldn't vote for him and kind of multiply them. Uh, Don Mattingly just didn't have the peak. You know, he, he I mean, he had the, uh, you know, his peak was good enough if he did that for like four years more than he actually did yeah like if his 84 to 87 seasons were more than just 84 to 87 i'd consider but i just i can't find i can't in good conscience do it uh and he hasn't gotten a lot of support from the era committee ballots to begin with so i'm really not i don't think he's going to go in i think he's going to get like maybe four or five votes at the most. Uh, his support on the BBWA ballot also dwindled. Uh, he topped out in his first year at 28%, and then he finished out at 9% 15 years later. So, you know, I don't think, I really don't think he's going to get in. Um, I wouldn't be too happy if he did. Yeah, I think I think what people argue for him is like, you know, you you look at his... At, uh, off his offense and you look at the batting average and you know mm-hmm. 307 batting average uh for you know a pretty pretty full career you know not didn't get 8000 plate appearances but like if you think batting average is like the marker for offensive success mm-hmm. then you probably would think he's like a hall of famer because it's a very it's an extremely good batting average to have but you look at on base percentage is 358 yeah uh OP- well what was his walk rate plus um it probably was. I mean, like, walks weren't that prevalent in the 80s anyway. Uh, he also only... Not that... I'm not, I'm not going to hold this against him because then I'd be a major hypocrite, but it's also very funny that he played for the Yankees for 14 years and never won a playoff series and only made it to the playoffs once. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if we're talking Yankee legacy, like, that's not a... It's not something to be proud of. You know, like, y- Yankee f- players are judged based on what they do in the postseason and their ability to get the team to the World Series. Right. Um, um, but, yeah, Mattingly, like, yeah, 
307 batting average. He had more walks than strikeouts. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, barely ever struck out. So I think that's kind of the, I think the older school type fan. Yeah, he really had a walk him. rate. He had a walk rate plus of 86. Uh, OBP plus of 108. Eh. Yeah. In his career. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, 830 OPS, uh, 127 OPS plus in less than 8,000 plate appearances, and it's not like he was a good defender or base runner. You know, what he did at the plate was was what he did in his career. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, I think I think an older school style of fan really likes him because of how well he hit the ball and how well he made contact. But you know, yeah. Just well, like, that and there's also just the novelty of he played for the Yankees. Yeah, he was the best player on the Yankees for like a decade or, or maybe a, half a decade or so. You know, he helped. He, you know, helped them. You know what's really interesting that I'm now seeing? Kirby Puckett had very similar numbers, and he was a first ballot BBWA Hall of Famer. Um, uh, I guess he did have a 318 batting average compared to 307. But I mean, if we're talking OBP slugging OPS, OPS plus. Yeah, I think I think if we redid that vote. Things would be different. Well, didn't he? Didn't he have to retire because of something? He did. He got hurt, but he also retired at age thirty-five. He he retired in a and he year. went out. He did. Yeah. Oh yeah. He had like some sort of. I yeah. think it was like a condition or something. I don't know. Yeah. Kirby Puckett. Um, uh, yeah, he went out with a one thirty OPS plus in one hundred thirty-seven games and six hundred plate appearances. And he also, like I said, he had a 318 batting average compared to a 307. Is looked at a lot differently, especially for 2001 when he was first on the ballot. And he had playoff moments. Yes, he did. Like he had a literal walk off home run in the World Series. Uh, uh, good, that good catch. He, yep. You know, walk up. Was it like a walk off ground rule double or something? Or well, that was Gene Lark- Larkson. Oh, okay. Gene Larkin. He had the he hit a walk off home run in Game Six the night before. He had like a David Freeze moment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, he also worth quote. noting he in the in the ALCS that year too he hit 429 with an 1197 OPS and then he hit a 950 OPS in the World Series against the Braves that year also just one of the best World Series ever played he had a CWPA of 19.4. Uh, um, Twins legend Kirby Puckett announced his retirement the result of vision problems that yeah. had developed late in 1996 spring training so uh, that sucks when you. You yeah. get an ad- you you know yeah. there were obviously underlying circumstances and very little things that put Puckett over the edge, but statistically for the whole career, very similar numbers to Don Mattingly. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. I agree. Wait, how did wait Don Mattingly? <laughs> he won a bunch of Gold Gloves. That's he did. so stupid. Well, but also Gold Gloves are not fun to look at, especially for that era, because right. Gold Gloves were basically who's the most, not even who's the best player, just who's the most popular player. Like, we're talking about Rafael Palmero. He yeah. won a gold glove in, I believe it was 1999, when he played 128 games as a DH. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, not, that's the era we're talking about of gold gloves. I'm not looking at Don Mattingly's gold gloves the way I, the same way I do it. Keith Hernandez's, you know, just, yeah. Or even just, like, Nolan Arnato. Right, exactly. Um, to be fair, there's also numbers and we get to see him. So maybe it's different, but yeah, I don't know. Like you just, I can't, can't know it's very funny by the way. Don Mattingly was so much, well, I mean, Don Mattingly was so much better in 1986 and he won the MVP in 85, but he also lost it to a pitcher. So it's not like you can blame the writers for, you know, 
Yeah, but he but he drove more runs in in '85. That's so true. He's better. He yeah. was better. He's so much better. Um. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with Andrew McCutcheon that one time. He did did happen with Andrew McCutcheon in 2014, 13. Yep. Um. Who are the other guys in the ballot? Albert Bell. Albert well, Bell probably has the weakest case. Uh, I think he's very overlooked offensively. Uh, he also had a very short, relatively short career for someone that's being considered in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but his offense, his peak offensively was legit. Yeah, I mean... He had, what, four seasons? He had three seasons of, with an OPS plus above 170. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, and... Four seasons with an OPS above 1,000... Yeah, from ninety four to ninety eight, had a ten twenty OPS. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, also ninety four to ninety six was third in MVP, second in MVP, third in MVP, and seventh the year before that. Seventh the year before that, and then uh, eighth in nineteen ninety eight. From nineteen ninety three to ninety eight, he had a one thousand three OPS and a one fifty eight OPS plus. Um, and he also played like virtually every game in those seasons except for ninety four. Which well actually well he did play he did play in nineteen ninety four I I forgot for a second yep yeah um but yeah, yeah he is a I don't know like defense you know kind of held him back a lot and he also only played for twelve seasons so it yeah. is tough to accumulate enough to be a Hall of Famer over that sort less, of a span especially less than seven thousand plate appearances yeah like we just um, talked about Mattingly not getting eight thousand yeah very prolific hitter no doubt. Probably not. I don't think. I also don't think he's going to get in. I think he's going to get probably the fewest support out of all the players there. Yeah. Um. Nothing I have against Albert Bell. I think he's a fantastic hitter, but lack of defense and lack of lack of career, really. Yeah. Like Hall of Fame wise, lack of career. When we're talking about you know Fred McGriff, who played for 19 seasons, and Rafael Palmeiro, who played for over 20, and Bonds and Clemens, who played for a long time, Schilling, who played for a long time, like, 12 years is, is tough to get behind, regardless. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, like, you know, you're held to a very high standard with Hall of Fame. Um, you got to do it for more than four or five seasons, for sure. Um, but that was kind of what Bell did. Um and then, what's the last one? Or, or we well, Chilling, Bonds, Clemens, and that's it, I think. Yep. yep. Well, um, I guess we never went deep into Palmero. You talked about him briefly. I talked about him briefly, but I don't know. It's it just, it's it's a, yeah. I think it's just, if you think PED guys should be allowed into the Hall of Fame, yeah. I think you think Palmero's deserving. And if you mm-hmm. don't, then you don't think Palmero's deserving. Yeah. I mean, 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, like, it kind of just, you know, it speaks for itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I don't like only looking at count stats, but when you have those two things, it's very hard to argue whether you're Hall of Fame worthy or not. Right, and a one, you know, one thirty-two OPS plus in like twelve thousand plate appearances. Yeah, he played a long, long time. And like when he in the seasons he was active, he was active. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a concrete thing. Um, you know, you you, you kind of know where you stand. You don't, really, you don't really go back and forth on a guy like that, mm-hmm. um, considering his history. Um, so, yeah, uh, do we want to wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we've already talked about Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Uh, both of us are in favor of them 
yep. pretty pretty passionately, I'd say. Yep. Um, Bonds and Clemens definitely more so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of goes without saying. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there are very few ways that they could screw this up, but the ways that they could are bad. Right. The era committees are always known for doing something. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like the only era committee election that I can remember walking away from somewhat satisfied was 2019 when they put in Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons, but they also left out Lou Whitaker, and I was pissed about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. I don't want to, like, here's the thing. Like I said, I think there are five players, maybe six, that are definitely worthy. Not all not all five to six of them are going to get in. Like, I know that people that just aren't going to make it that I think should. I'm going to try not to get upset about that. Yep. But we'll see. I think my prediction is that McGriff gets in with about 14 votes. I think Bonds and Clemens get around 10 to 11. Uh, Schilling, I think, gets in with, like, 12 to 13 votes. Mattingly, Bell get like five or less votes. And then Murphy, I think he gets like eight to nine votes. And then Palmero gets like also less than five. I think just McGriff and Schilling get in. Uh, Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. I think, yeah, I think you, I think I agree with you that McGriff, McGriff is like the most compelling non I think he, I think he has the best chance. Non compelling non-steroid or like controversial mm. guy in general yeah um but when you consider steroids i think no one has a better shot of getting in than fred mcgriff yep and i'm very happy about that because he deserves it yep 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 um and yeah that'll do it for this installment of above replacement radio um you know a good good to get back on after you know two and a half weeks of being off or so absolutely um talking about the world of baseball um, in the off season. When, uh, when we, you know, we'll probably be recapping the contemporary era committee ballot by the by the next time we're uh, recording because that will have happened. It's this Sunday. It'll be on MLB Network. I think it's around six p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and then we can start talking about the BBWAA ballot that just released this week. We have four ballots in already. Um, you know, tracker season is getting started. Yeah, and I, I can't wait personally to talk about the Xander Bogarts uh, extension from the Red Sox. Um, <laughs> that'll happen. That will the, happen, for and sure. And Rafael Devers extension and the Carlos Rodon signing um, yeah. by the Red Sox. And, and the Aaron Judge signing to a three-year, $60 million contract that will happen. Yeah, with the Red Sox. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for all that next week. And um, also Ted Williams coming back from the dead. Yeah, and mm-hmm. um, and yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Red Sox to... You know, get they're gonna get uh, Wander Franco for yes. uh, um, for uh, John or for uh, Ryan Brazier. Um, that's a trade that's gonna happen. That will happen. Um, They'll put him at second. Well, actually, what the, why would they put him? Because um, they're gonna bring back Xander. They're gonna have Story. Maybe have him catch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was just trying to think of a random young guy. <laughs> I didn't think of the logistics when I thought of that one. <laughs> My mistake. That's yeah, all right. Um. But yeah, we hope it doesn't matter. Doesn't and they're matter. also going to trade back Mookie Betts. Yeah, uh, we're actually going to give them Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong. And they're going to eat the contract. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, you know what? We made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Both the Red Sox and Dodgers. Actually, yeah. just the Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to request the trade. Yeah, yeah. Heim's <laughs> <laughs> on the phone, like, oh, hey, hello, Andrew. And Andrew. Andrew. Do you have the wrong number? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm excited for all that. Um, I, I I know you're upset we got Chris Martin, but like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we uh, we hope you enjoyed this installment of Above Replacement Radio. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on on tw- uh, Twitter <laughs> at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Kern. And follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope you know to what's see crazy. You. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we—it's been so long that we've recorded that we completely skipped over the whole. Well, in case you need our Instagrams, just in case Twitter doesn't exist the next time we record. Era. <laughs> that was a quick like four days. Yeah, like was... we skipped over that entire timeline in between recordings. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was a thing. Um, yeah, what else happened? Uh, Thanksgiving happened, um, and. Uh, Best Broadway happened. It did. Good show. Thank you. Um, Daniel performed a senior number to. I did. I did a flip. A very yeah. It was. I was. I was. I was pumped. I was pretty pumped <laughs> to see that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we hope you enjoy this one, and we hope to see you next time, where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball once again. A good this conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>